In the name of the crucified and risen Christ, amen. 525,600 minutes, 525,600 moments so dear, 525,600 minutes, how do you measure a year? So begins the best remembered and most evocative song from the musical Rent made sharply poignant by the sudden death of its author, Jonathan Larson, just a day before the show opened. The song does suggest some possible tools of measurement, from cups of coffee to sunsets, but ends, if you know the song, by urging us to measure our lives by seasons of love. You may thank or blame the Holy Spirit that as I thought this week about Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus, that song kept running through my mind. Odd, but true. Nearly two millennia separate that biblical story from that song, and everything separates the settings in which each occurs. It's first century Israel in Jerusalem when Jesus meets Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is among the most upright of men, established. He is a Pharisee, a teacher of the laws of Moses and the words of the prophets, hoping that through his teaching and example, he can help make Israel a holy nation, or at least a holy people. He's in that season when he has built a life, knows the foundation stones are secure, and the future is clearly visible to him. He's worked hard and done well, even becoming a member of the religious council of Jerusalem by all the measures of his days. He's done well, very well. The musical Rent is set in the East Village before it was fashionable. When that part of the village and Alphabet City, Avenues A and B and C, were where you landed when you had no money, maybe had, <clears throat> maybe had a drug addiction, mental illness or sexuality that caused parents and peers to push you away. There were plenty of squatters then and abandoned buildings plentifully available. I've lived in New York long enough to remember those days. I've long been captivated by the story of Nicodemus. He appears, as it turns out, only in John's Gospel, but he does turn up three times. This is his first appearance, and it comes early on in Jesus' ministry, although Jesus is already attracting attention and followers and trouble. Nicodemus and Jesus meet at night. A respected leader does not want to be seen hanging out with a man his fellow Pharisees believe may be trouble or something worse. 
But Nicodemus comes even if surreptitiously because Jesus intrigues him and he is willing to believe, well established though he may be, that God still speaks in the world. Remember that all of Jerusalem and the area surrounding it went out to hear John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness not so long ago. And while the Pharisees weren't willing to say that John was sent from God, neither were they willing to say that he wasn't. So maybe Jesus has something to say. And Nicodemus recognizes the God-given power in Jesus' teaching and in the miracles, which maybe he's witnessed, but certainly about which he's heard. He recognized that and says so to Jesus. Nicodemus opens with a compliment, but Jesus' response turns the encounter into something of a sparring match. Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom, you must be born from above, a statement that this learned Pharisee can only respond to with the obvious truth that no one gets born again once they're old. Now, Nicodemus knows as well as any of us that there's no going back to the birth canal when he makes his crack about re-entering the mother's womb. It's the kind of hyperbole Jesus actually liked to use, and my hunch is that Jesus enjoyed Nicodemus' swift retort. But the conversation is actually a serious one, and Jesus presses on. This is about spiritual rebirth. This is about the way that God can change things and change people, just like the wind can suddenly rush in those gusts that seem to come out of nowhere and then go as quickly as they came. Nicodemus knows what Jesus means, he just does not think it's possible. How can this be? And the temperature in this conversation goes up. Jesus says, really, really, you're a Pharisee and you don't know? It's worth seeing that Nicodemus doesn't speak again in this passage. I think I know why because Jesus has caught him out. Caught him out as a man who knew all the right things to say and to teach and even to do, but didn't entirely believe in the power of the God he followed. As a teacher in Israel, he would surely have known the prophet Ezekiel's announcement of God's intention to replace our stony human hearts with hearts of flesh. He would have known as a teacher of Israel that Ezekiel prophesied about the valley of dry bones that come back to life when the spirit is breathed upon them. Surely he knew Psalm 51 when the psalmist asked to be given a clean heart He knew all that, but maybe he couldn't quite believe it, at least not for himself. 
they think we get, Nicodemus? Maybe we are Nicodemus. We know what we're supposed to believe, and you are here in church. We may actually believe it. But transformation, new life, ah, that's what happens for other people. Not for me, not for you, not for us, especially later in our lives. For lives get built over time. Habits accrue and patterns take shape. We have seasons in our lives. If we were lucky or fortunate, maybe our life began with a buffet of options before us. But we make one choice, and then another, and then another, and look back and think, I was destined for this. That destiny made by the choices large and small that we each make along the way. Even if we regret some of those choices, we know we can't undo them. Can a man climb back into his mother's womb a second time? No, of course not. Jesus insists he is telling Nicodemus the truth about the way the world, the wind, and the spirit work. Jesus says more, talking about the Son of Man being lifted up, an image that surely made no sense to Nicodemus, though he would remember that story about Moses holding up a bronze serpent that healed the people in the wilderness and saved them from death by snakebite. But Nicodemus has nothing more to say. And we might assume that after this sparring match, after this encounter, he scuttled away in the dark. We would be wrong. The next time we see him, he's defending Jesus in broad daylight through his fellow religious leaders, telling them that Jesus deserves a fair hearing when they just want him arrested. And they ask him if maybe he's become one of Jesus' followers too. Then we see him again at the end when Jesus is dead and Joseph of Arimathea has collected Jesus' body and Nicodemus comes bearing a hundred pounds of spices with which to quickly anoint Jesus' body before he's laid in the tomb. No more hiding in the shadows for him. What do we do with this story? Nighttime is when questions haunt us. Nighttime is when our choices and our mistakes keep us up at night. Maybe Nicodemus couldn't sleep. He certainly didn't, in that first meeting, meet Jesus meek and mild. I don't actually think there is a Jesus who's meek or mild. He met Jesus who challenged him. But that challenge contained a possibility, the possibility of new life, a possibility of having a new spirit. 
It was a possibility that over time, Nicodemus came to believe was a promise, a promise worth risking everything for. Through that first encounter, Nicodemus was invited and entered into a season of love. Imagine Jesus thinking even someone like Nicodemus could have that, all that. Jesus' challenge offered love and new life for Nicodemus, as it does for us all. There is no time limit. There is no age limit, because the love of God is limitless. So if you believe that the good news is good news, but probably not for you, I invite you to use your haunted nights to begin a conversation with Jesus. You may not hear what you expect. It might become a sparring match. Maybe you won't even feel like you hear anything at all at first, but you will. Likely a challenge, but surely a promise. The promise to be born anew into an everlasting season of love. So Ben, can you help me out? 